Welcome back to the Rockman Power Hour. My name is Jason Rockman, uh, and this is a podcast where we meet once a week every Monday to talk to very interesting people from the world of pop culture. And uh, this week, we've got two very interesting people. Um, Both of them are very different, but together make a super team that have brought um, a couple of really, really cool projects together. And uh, this latest one is is definitely a controversial one for some people, but um, it's it's something that was brilliantly put together, and um, and I'm very, very happy that uh, we have Tony Stone and Melissa Oftemar with us today on the Rockman Power Hour. But before we get to that, let's bring in our co-host, Ryan Stick. Ryan? How's what's it going? going on? I'm good. So we we both got to see this movie. Oh, yes. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited about that, because we don't always get to see... Um, the things we talk about together at the same time or, you nope. know, I'll see, but this time we both got to see it. And, um, and I think we were both kind of were marked by this movie. Yeah. Usually you get to see the stuff and I just smile and I say, <laughs> I'm sure it's great. <laughs> and this time around, I got to see it too. I actually got to see it before you. And, yeah, uh, my I one know. advice was, I'm like, dude, I know your schedule. Don't watch this at two o'clock in the morning. This is like a m- film. This isn't yeah. a, a movie, bro. This is like a film yeah. and a, a deep, dark character piece. And it is best like, you know, go on that journey with him. And uh, I, re- I really I really, dug the movie because I really love that actor ever since District 9. Yeah, Charlton Copley. To- yeah, I've been totally into him. He's amazing. He, he was in the very underrated and amazing A-Team movie. As mm-hmm. Mad Dog Murdoch. Yeah. And uh, he's done so much stuff, Hardcore Henry. And just to see, like, if, if anybody were to tackle a movie about the Unabomber, it's definitely him. And uh, I love the direction in this movie, too. I mean, like, seriously, what a what a voice, what a cinematic voice this director has when it comes to gels and colors and tones and music choices. It was a really cool film. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and uh, it's funny because, you know, I, I worked till midnight and my plan was to try to watch this uh, you know, at night. And then when I, uh, went to put the screening link on the, uh, the site that hosts it was down for maintenance, just routinely down for maintenance at the time I wanted to watch it. So I got up early in the morning and I watched the film and, uh, and I'm really glad I did because you know, early morning for me being an old fucker now, uh, it's the best, <laughs> it's the best time for me. Um, you know, from six to 10, 11 in the morning, I'm really, I'm probably the most focused and, and the most productive. And, uh, it was great. I, 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 really enjoyed the film um and I'm, I'm really glad we get to talk to uh both of the people that were involved with the film the executive pro- producer melissa oftemar uh who of course uh, you know is is a name that a lot of people will know from uh from her stint in the band hole she was in hole she was also in smashing pumpkins for a bit and she had a very successful solo career um and she's been dabbling in all types of medium when it comes to arts for a while so it's nice to see her pair up with Tony Stone, who just happens to also be her life partner and her, you know, her husband. They share, uh, you know, they, they're parents to a child. And you can tell that when they made this movie, this project was a labor of love. And I think that whatever goes on off screen with the two of them, it shows in their work because, man, this film was something else. I really, really enjoyed it. But Ryan, before we get too far ahead and we bring um, Tony and Melissa on, uh, we have to thank our sponsor of the podcast, Heartbeat Hot Sauce. I today decided to pull out this one, which I just tried. Um, and I had tried most of them before they even came on board with the podcast because I've been a client for years. The Heatonist number four. This is the Lion's Mane Piri Piri Sauce. This one is... That's the one I chose. Are you, are you kidding me? Yeah. 
What do you think of this one? It's good, We're right? We're hot sauce buddies. I know. We're hot sauce twins. Um, oh, well, I like it a lot. I like the name, too. Because mm-hmm. I'm wearing my new Studio House Hellraiser <laughs> shirt. And I thought, speaking of heathens. Yeah. <laughs> Very and this one on the meter goes a little past medium. Uh, what I love about Heartbeat is they always have their little spice meter on the back of the bottle. So, um, you know, this one will go from between a medium and a hot. Uh, and if you're ever down here in the extra hot, that's 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 warning. But uh, no, they uh, they will give you the indication. And uh, and I love this one. It's really really. And you are down down in the hot hot heartbeat hot sauce. It's like calling the Zen- it's like calling the Xenobites, Jason. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to bring in um, our, our guests for uh, for today's episode, Tony and Melissa. Uh, please enjoy it. They are uh, both from the film Ted K, the director and the executive producer. Uh, here they are right here on the Rockman Power Hour. So the last time you and I chatted, Melissa, was for Out of Our Minds. Yeah, I know. It's been a nice reunion with some of the Montreal uh, talkers. I like it. That was that was a while back. And that, again, back then, um, I think that was, I just started at Shome. It was like maybe my third interview okay. that I had done like 12 years ago or 11 years ago. And, and I remember thinking at the time that was a really ambitious project. Yes. And uh, maybe possibly even ahead of its time in terms of the multimedia components, because I remember speaking to Capitol Records at the time, because I was still signed with them from the first record. Like it's a movie, it's a yeah. comic, it's an album. And they say, no, you're a musician, pick which one is it? And I said, no, no, it's actually all of it. I'm a multimedia artist. I went to Concordia University, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Now you would see an artist, like something like that would be commonplace where, you know, their pre-order bundles up and they've got this and this all together. So yeah, um, yeah. but um, I, I'm really glad you guys are both with me today. I, I, I was talking before to Tony, before you jumped on, I got a chance to watch the movie. Uh, I watched it early this morning and I watched, and I'm glad I watched it early because <laughs> it, no, but it was good. It was perfect because I work late and um, I tried to jump on the, um, on the link last night, but the, the server was under maintenance. So there was, it wasn't allowing me to see it until after midnight. So I watched it this morning and um, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and what I liked about this movie was there were things in this movie where as much as you want to say, this guy's a bad guy, I kind of understood where he was coming from because there's a lot of the times where you, you will walk around and you're just frustrated with the way the world's going. And, and it's, it's weird to, to kind of paint this guy in a sympathetic way. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you did, but there, it, it, you can't help but kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. I mean, I think we look at things so black and white uh, these days. So that was a big sort of underlying concept was just to get into the, the gray of who this person is and realize there's a human behind it. You know, how, how did he get to this point? So you kind of see that the guy is damaged. You see that he has, you know, some obviously some mental issues. Um, but I think if we kind of can approach a lot of things in the world with more compassion, yeah. be a better off society, you know? So, you know, that's where, and you know, the way people kind of look at Ted, it's, it's either this simplistic vilification narrative um, or it's, you know, it's something, you know, he's, he's heroic, prophetic, um, and wanted to be just more, just true, straight up truthful about, about who this guy was. So, you know, there's a lot of research involved in the film and approaching the film more like it was a documentary, even though we're, that's very cinematic and it's a narrative, but with sort of the research of just getting to who the person is. And, you know, that's where you see at the beginning of the movie, we, we, you know, we filmed on the exact location, filmed in Lincoln, Montana, where he was from, uh, used some of the remaining structures that were around his property. 
and used a lot of the real people in the movie, you know, that, that knew him, you know? So, you know, just wanted to get to the truth of it. And I think you kind of get to the truth of it. You know, there is some, some empathy that comes through. And I think in these times of just, uh, you know, over, you know, techno reliance and techno addiction mixed with environmental degradation, that's all kind of hand in hand to distract us from real problems like climate change. Um, you know, his words have meaning. You can kind of relate to the rage, you know? Oh yeah. And when do people act on their rage? It's so interesting. Right. And so sometimes you see it in moments, you know, like January 6th or, or, you know, other, other environment, you know, then radical environmental groups as well. Um, so, uh, you know, he's kind of emblematic of a lot of, problems in society yeah. <laughs> um, yeah just in a way that moves sort of the vehicle to talk about some of these ideas as well and you know you, you when when you watch him um it doesn't take long to realize that this guy has some underlying issues i mean uh, and obviously he's severely socially awkward um you know there's a point where he's talking to his mom on the on the payphone and he said you know i've only uh, we've, i've only tongue kissed twice in my life and i think we've all known guys like ted in our life um that that are kind of on the fringe and, and a little outside it might not fit in that um in that box that everybody likes to put everybody in it's it's interesting to see it from that perspective because right away you would be like well this guy was a he was a horrible person i mean he set bombs off on people's faces i mean there's there's nothing there, there's no way to, to 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 bring a human side to this guy but i think you guys did you know nowadays it's so hard to to have a conversation and and not be on one side or or another side and i think that's one of the biggest problems we have is that everybody wants to plant their flag in the sand and not realize that there's a lot of gray in between and and I think this was a, a great way to to portray his story, um, but give people a chance to have a little bit of empathy for a bad guy. Yeah, and also maybe have your own takeaway yeah, too. You exactly. know? So that's sort of like you know, a lot of new material is more morality theater, and that is just sort of disrespectful to audiences. I feel like you know we're far more sophisticated. That's why a lot of the films we loved, you know, seventies anti-hero movies, um, where you kind of get to you know, this sort of movie piece or this escapism, right? You get to go into the head of these other people, live these other lives. And that was sort of super interesting from the beginning was let's do this, tell the story super subjective. So you don't see any of the FBI, uh, you know, you're just in this guy's world and yeah. then hopefully get into his head. And maybe that's uncomfortable. Maybe it helps you look at the world a little differently, um, even though you're with a madman. Um, looking at Ted more as if he, let's say, what, you know, we were, we were his family member. We were his brother, David. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that was sort of, um, if he was sort of familiar, what, what kind of, how would we think about this person? But I also think what's important, especially for those, you know, there's like a cult awareness of Ted Kaczynski because of his manifesto that's been highly, like that's how he was caught was by publishing, getting the New York Times and Washington Post to publish his manifesto. And I think what's most important to talk about, because it's not like Tony and then me as executive producer who's supported Tony in his American storytelling. I wouldn't just want to like make a movie about a madman. That's not of interest, but someone who had something to say that in 1996, when he, when they published the manifesto and with every decade, what he said, which is basically the rise of technology is threatening the planet and humans. And the, the thing that he is saying is what is most important to look at yeah. and why he was worth subjectively diving into is that he was, and what's cool about Tony's movie is it doesn't go into like the biopic of like in 1972, he graduated from Harvard, but he was a brilliant mathematician. He was a brilliant mind and a lot of smart, brilliant people do have, uh, you know, can fall off a cliff of madness yeah. or 
And so it's, you know, definitely a mad genius problem, but more than anything, he saw something coming in the, when he did this for 25 years, he was watching the rise of industrialized technology over the course of 25 years. And he, by 1990, whatever, you know, was trying to get the message out. In some ways it was altruistic. It's he, even though he's, it, it, the, the film, just so people know, is all based on his writing, his diaries. Right. So it's Tony didn't interpret anything. A guy kept a journal basically saying, I'm not doing this to save the world. I'm doing this because I'm angry. And so that's what's most powerful, I think, about the story. And as like a Montrealer who somehow gets involved because my joke and like, reaching out about doing press on this film is how does Melissa from Montreal, the bass player connect to this American terrorist? (laughs) I'm trying to justify right now. The the story is so of this time. And when Tony started developing this, this script and, um, and I am his partner in not only filmmaking, but we have an art center in upstate New York. We have a daughter, we are married. So he, he directed the film that went with out of our minds. We made another movie called Peter and the farm. So we're life partners in creation. And when he started developing this project like 10 years ago, and I, my role is to sort of go out to people in Hollywood, see if actors will read it. You know, we got Viggo Mortensen and Joaquin Phoenix to read it. And people were not those two mad, and they were open to it actually, but people were afraid of the story. Like, oh, no, 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 we can't do it. No, he's an American terrorist, you know, post 9-11, terrorism. And and mainly, so in the last 10 years, we premiered this at Berlin last year, virtually, unfortunately, within weeks of the insurrection of of the Capitol. And every year that this story has waited to come out is more relevant because the rage in everywhere, mm-hmm. but in America in particular, and the takeover of technology and the people being pushed to the edges of nowhere and nothing because of basically corporate greed and technical technology, like lobotomizing, where there's like, you know, much less humanity in people's interaction. And so that is what's really interesting and powerful about the story is how and and Tony does this in his other films is revisiting moments in American history and seeing how every decade the story looks a little different. And this person who is still alive, he's got terminal cancer in life in prison. He's my parents age, you know, he's almost 80 and he's not going to live much longer, but he's still alive and he might die being understood a little bit more than he was when captured in 1996. And that's all he probably wants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Someone to see that there was a brilliant mind who was questioning the direction of the world. And, you know, as alternative musician, alternative filmmaker, we're independent thinking people. And we, our job is to find kernels of truth in radical independent thinking. Yeah. And, you know, even just talking to, some of my father's old colleagues at CJD yesterday, it's like my father was a radical politician for his time in Montreal. And I was raised by two parents who raised me to think differently mm-hmm. and yeah. to question those in power. And that's, you know, a bit of what this guy was doing, but he went way too far, obviously, but Tony made it a beautiful movie. Yeah. So it's actually beautiful to watch, even though it's, gut-wrenching and and it's not gory it's not like you know there are those you know a true crime element but i would not be interested if it was like a gory true crime horror movie it is a beautiful emotionally psychedelic strange film about 
a complicated man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny cause it, uh, it's not a horror movie at all, but it, it there, there were some horrible things that happened in the movie, but there are two scenes in the movie that, and I, and I look, I'm a horror aficionado. I love horror movies. I, I love, I'm, I'm a movie guy. Like just, I love cinema, but there were two scenes in that movie that were so scary. Um, and they were so subtle. There's the one where he gets picked up when his bike is broken down he gets yes. and he gets in the car and he looks over at the driver when the driver's playing jokes on him and that look that he gives the driver is terrifying <laughs> that whole thing where he's gazing at him and you just look into uh Shalto's eyes and you're just like oh man this guy's got some rage behind him and yes. there's that and of course the cinder block scene <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> i mean that was really important to have that scene right up front mm -hmm. where you, early on where it's just a ted gives a look and you see that he can kill Oh yeah, you can see there's something. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's 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 funny how the subtlest things can be the most terrifying. I know, and I love that performative moment too. You yeah. know, and then you're also engaged as an actor, but you know, as as just sort of like this guy can act. Like I, I'm committed to to Charlotte on this journey. Uh, but yeah, I love I love that look. Um, you know, because it's also you see the disdain to his his neighbors too, and and you can also kind of tell that the guy, even though you don't see him off camera, you know, you know he is off camera, you don't see him, is um is unaware that he's also kind of getting that stare. Yeah, you know? so yeah. Kind of intense sort of hidden actions underlying this conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's where you know once again just the person himself is so damaged, uh, um, and he's you know takes out these violent acts. But it's interesting, just sort of as a viewer, can we connect, have these moments of connection? And yeah. that's what I was interested in. And, you know, is there other people in American history that you could, you know, trying to make a movie about Timothy McVeigh, Bond of Oklahoma City? You know, that's a far other, you know, uh, leap of empathy that I don't think is possible, you know? Well, no, you're right. It's it's funny because I like, for example, Jared Leto, you know, when he when they did the the biopic on, on Lennon's killer, like I. I thought that was just distasteful. The whole thing about it was so did gross. I. So did and it made me actually, he fell from, from, um, you know, from, I, I held him in high regard before that. And after that, I was just like, yeah. why would you want to method act that guy? And, and, no, exactly. But, but this, but I, but I didn't feel this. And that's what, that's what I mean. You guys really succeeded at telling this story and, and really leaving it up to people to, to take, to have their own interpretation. And, and, but, but in a way that was, I really got to, I never thought I would be able to sympathize with the Unabomber in, yeah. in a way, in a way. And I'll say that you don't have to say it. I'll say, it. I'll, I'll take, the, I'll take the heat if people come <laughs> yeah. back. But. I mean, once again, you know, we use the H word humanity, you know, yeah. it's just like, there, there is, you know, and it's the same reason I'm against the death penalty. Yeah. You know, there's still, there's still these, you know, these humans behind there and how they get to this situation. It's, you know, chance and circumstance. Yeah. Um, and they carry out this way. And, you know, I think they sort of, He's lost, you know, uh, you know, he's sort of this frontiersman that's that's alone, that could never love um, or never be loved. Um, and how things could have turned out differently in a way that's such promise, you know. Um, and so that's always just an interesting theme of to have sort of such promise, such intelligence, and then take these wrong turns in life, you know. But at the same time, you know, and Melissa's talking about how we look at history and, and you know, when we first started to, you know, look back at historic moments and when we first started this film 10 years ago, people were you know, disgusted by the idea of wanting to tell this story. Sure. But now, you know, Tenders, you mentioned it, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, that makes total sense. Or the Chicago Tribune, you know, a pretty conservative newspaper, 
talking about how the Obama was right when iPhone 10 came out, you know, and this is just a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, it's, it, once again, it's the vehicle to talk a lot about, to talk about these things. And, and I think as we really are facing this climate cliff that we're going to go off of, you know, technology has really, you know, at a point where we really need focus mm. to actually deal with these huge existential problems. We're all distracted because of technology and infighting, you know, so the time we really need to be together and prioritize actual real problems, we're bickering about these sideline issues. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, so what's interesting is, you know, Ted had no idea how technology was actually going to be implemented to, to, uh, you know, to change our lives and for, but he, but the way he, sort of generalized it, it's actually taken on more powerful meaning than, you know, uh, it was when it was first written. So, um, and that's the thing with alternative histories is, you know, in 20 years, we really are in this, in this middle of this, you know, uh, climate catastrophe, you know, we're going to look back at them differently, yep. you know? I think, um, I think yeah. as every year passes, we're going to look at them differently. Yeah. And then in no way is that like condoning his actions no. by any means, but it's somebody who was ringing the alarm and the people who were ringing the alarms. I mean, Ted Kaczynski was you know, highly influenced by Bill McKibben and people like this and other primitivists. So you know, he served as an amalgamation of a lot of different environmentalists and primitivists and you know, was very inspired by Earth First, which is an interesting group that uh, you know is in the film briefly, where you know, it was a group that was actually taking action to to you know protect the Earth, and it was a moment late in the '80s and early '90s where people were still hopeful that you could change things for the better. Yeah. And when we have you know millions of people dying from air pollution, basically solely responsible for because of fossil fuels, it's kind of incredible that we're taking very little action. I know <laughs> against, it's 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 against, it's really sad. I mean, it's 100 companies that are responsible for 70% of, 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 of carbon emissions. So how we kind of let this let this go um, and now we're at a point where we got to act soon. So, you know, that really has taken on, you know, uh, more, you know, his, his writings and just the urgency of it all, it's, you know, taken on more significance as, as time has gotten further from the event. The uh, the music in this movie, um, there's, there's you know, obviously there's the, these, there's the original compositions that were done for the film. I don't want to talk about that, but I want to talk about some of the choices uh, I know there's a type there's a typo negative song in there. Glad you got that. Uh, I did. I saw uh, there's a, a great, obviously great Alice in Chains song in there. Um, were were they easy to get? And was that Melissa? Did you have a hand in that? We did. like all different angles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Kept on having Personal to write. Letters. Right? <laughs> yeah. Hello, I'm a Universal Records recording artist, and I'd always get the kind of lower person on yeah. the on the rank. I'm like, can I please speak to your supervisor? Can I please speak to your supervisor? Yes, we're an independent film. No, we don't have a big budget, but I do, you know, I think that the band would appreciate this. We're telling a story. We think that they think what, you know, so yeah, I mean, definitely music supervisor stuff is, that's how Tony and I met actually on with his first film, a Viking film that he uh, called Severed Ways, The Norse Discovery of America, which is a super cool, like made on tiny mini DVs starring him. It was straight out of uh, college. And it was an amazing film that I was asked to just look at a rough cut to see if I could give some input on the soundtrack because he wanted to make a period piece in 2007 with Brian Eno, Judas Priest, all these cool yeah. sound modern music. And so I was just going to look at it to see if I could help get any of the music clear. And I fell in love with the film and the filmmaker all at the same time. <laughs> But the film, the music is big in all of Tony's films, uh, which is why film is such a cool medium is that you can 
utilize all of all, you know, all the visuals, the acting and the words and the music. But the, this uh, Allison Change was not my idea, but I definitely helped bring it home. I got in touch with the managers and all that. And I mean, it was super cool. I mean, they, they gave approval. They watched the scene. I think they saw the significance of how it worked in the film sure. and the time period. Yeah. You know, I mean, weirdly, the lyrics line up, you know. I mean, it's also that moment is, you know, it's kind of perverse, right? You're, the, you're, you're, you're in the scene as, you know, a lot of cinematic montages that glorify violence and you think you're kind of in that ride and then you're ripped out of it with this gory explosion you're like oh this is life and yeah, yeah. You know, it, you're like into this you know ted's looking the coolest he's ever looked and and he's strutting and yeah. then like oh this is disgusting and we cut out super hard and you're back in the carnage you know it's it's really i mean it's so well put together that whole scene and when you know you know when you know that song is all about jerry's you know, Jerry's dad coming back from Vietnam and stuff. It's just, yeah. it just really, it, it, yeah, it was, you have these modern songs and then you've got Vivaldi like all through the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and that's, those are Ted's favorite, you know, yeah. Ted was a big Baroque fan, you know, so Bach, Vivaldi, you know, they're Baroque composers. Um, and, and I am too, actually like, you know, classical is kind of great, but I love Baroque. There's something very mathematical, obviously something very metal about it yeah. too. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of the palette goes back and forth. And even Blake Mass's, you know, score, it kind of aligns with that. I love their score. And uh, and I saw that they were part of the whole Sacred Bones family, which, you know, I'm I'm a big Carpenter fan. Um, I yes. spent way too much money on that website pre-ordering stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, how, how did you get them involved? And were they friends? Were they friends beforehand or? Uh, Blake Mass is actually one guy. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I, I kind of like Jake yeah. Kaczynski's The Freedom Club. But yeah. He's one guy. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, um so but sacred bones there. are all friends too We're we've friends. got a bunch of stuff with yeah sacred bones and actually blank mass came and played our uh our music festival about four or five years ago oh nice okay and that was super powerful you know so we were fans before we liked his previous band too which was with somebody else fuck buttons but um you know timing is everything with all these things and we started talking just as the pandemic was starting so you know musicians weren't touring so he had a lot of time on his hands yeah. and he had done one other movie, but just knew the power of his, his sounds uh, uh, from all his albums that are very analog heavy and, and just, and, and just very emotional. So yeah, he connected with the film and we just spent a lot of time and we kind of did it on and off for six months during the pandemic. And he was in the UK and I was out East. So, uh, you know, he'd do stuff, uh, you know, um, all day and then I listened to it at night so kind of had some good timing to just sort of process it and even though we're in the same room it worked out very well I mean it's one person all digital you know all uh, electronic and, and when they um, when we invited them to play at Basilica Soundscape our music festival in upstate New York I'm always sort of weary of like the one man and a computer on a stage. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's never that powerful with yeah. drums, but it, what it sounded as powerful uh, because of the way he processes things and that he is a musician who composes and brings in voices and brings in real instrumentation. So um, like, I knew that this sort of techno tech movie would definitely be done by a, a radical electronic artist and of course the Baroque and, um, and he just seemed like the absolute best because he was the only live performance I'd seen that was as like intense yeah. and commanding as the full band. And yeah, the soundtrack is out on Sacred Bones on vinyl and super cool and I recommend it. I think I'll be, I'll be taking a trip over after. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but but it's great because you know you've got the you know the whole battle between you know the earth and technology and you kind of have that on the soundtrack too you know you've got stuff like 
like, you know, the Vivaldi, which is very organic. And, and then you've got something that's very electronic. So it's, it kind of goes with the theme of the film. Definitely. And electronic music is sometimes just, you know, adding emphasis to his emotions, but yeah. at the same time is also the sound that's aggravating him so much. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, this drone and it's the invasion of sort of technology into his world. So yeah, it kind of you know, has an interesting way of, uh, you know, sort of the economy, the economy works both ways. Um, and then the solace, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, those were Baroque pieces that I just fell in love with, you know, so trying to find that universal, uh, you know, tracks that we all just like, and, you know, we make music for, you know, uh, hundreds of years. So to go back into that catalog and find these timeless masterpieces that, you know, most people don't know. So obviously there's some uh, four seasons in there that's a little more familiar. I'm really trying to find some great gems in there. Just uh, and in line with the way you know he really felt and the fact that his limited bit of technology was the radio, you know. So yeah. that was interesting, is that that was was his soundtrack in the woods, was you know, uh, talk radio or the classical music station. Yeah. <laughs> that was his only companion. Uh, Melissa, you're obviously you're, you know, um I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it because I've got you on the, I've got you on the line. Um, you've got such a history with, with music, uh, you know, especially nineties music. When you do, do you like the position you're in now where you're able to, where you're able to kind of be like in the background as a producer and not necessarily be in the spotlight? Do you find uh, as much satisfaction? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm writing my memoir right now and I have been kind of reviewing the chapters, the decade chapters. So I basically had the decade and a little more with the, with the bands and my solo record and um, my creative career in the, in the, in the decades that have uh, just passed is that uh, I'm seeing a reoccurring. So I had like the big world travel bass player rock thing for almost 15 years. And then um, at, a, at a very exciting magical moment, I got pregnant, got married and founded a art center in upstate New York. And for me, that was the way to start giving, well, first of all, having a home and not world traveling yeah. and having a place where I could actually be a mother for a moment and um, ultimately give back to artists so create a platform. So Basilica Hudson, our art center is a platform to support independent alternative voices and arts and culture. So everything from film and music and visual arts and, and a lot of green uh, environmental advocacy and activism. And, um, that role, whether it happens to have coincidentally be simultaneous to being a mother, but the idea of supporting others in finding their way, but also as a bass player, that wasn't really, you know, that was pretty much what a bass player does anyhow is glue the pieces, yeah. step at the back. So I'd already had like a supporting role style. And then in finding a life partner, Tony, and being able to support multiple projects that we both believe in and he helping me with my projects, us working together with this art center, his films. It's really an exciting, I mean, I was describing it to someone the other day that at Basilica, when we put on the music festivals, even though I'm just curating it, producing it, like I'm as excited for that festival as when I was playing. I obviously miss the actual bass playing, yeah. but I'm excited to create a, a room of enthusiasm. With COVID, we, you know, we, we haven't been doing as many uh, music festivals, but what's been really satisfying with the films is 
watching a different kind of art form that takes honestly so much more time and yeah. horrendous tedious work than any music festivals or music for i mean i i don't know how tony does it in terms of he edits them themselves too it's insane but watching that i love putting people together in exciting um things that that move people yeah. and that obviously have beauty but also push people into new ways of thinking so it's kind of all the same for me but it's been a very compatible chapter for me to shift into more of a supportive role um, and also just learn how part of my language shit gets done i want to know how things get done yeah. and i've been that's definitely been my role in my life it's just make stuff yeah, <laughs> make no. it happen and make it yeah um, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Uh, I, I, I love the film and I think the fact that people can go see the film in the theater, like it's supposed to be seen and then have a Q and a with you after, um, is a wonderful chance to get inside the mind of the, of the filmmakers and, and of the producer. So, um, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and, and I enjoyed the film as, as much as I went into it thinking, how am I going to enjoy a film about Ted Kaczynski? I really did. <laughs> I really did. And I thought it was, it was really, really well, really, really well told. And um, I wish people could have more conversations about subjects like this nowadays, because this was the perfect way to show somebody how to have a conversation that doesn't have to be black and white, where you can see all the shades of it. Yeah. And that's definitely why we're, we're appreciative of the cinema de park because the conversations after the screenings, um, especially after all the isolation and COVID and these kinds of fears that people have fears of, people yeah, basically yeah. on every level, crazy people and virus level, but it's really important conversations to have. So we're looking forward to having it with Montreal. Thanks guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. You know, man, it's really cool to hear Alice in Chains in a movie. I know like, you know, a lot of, you know, when you think it, it's a period piece, right? So yeah. I'm supposed to think in the 90s, but what's funny to me is that as soon as this came on, I realized that the only other actor I've ever seen depict uh, Mr. Kaczynski was Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. So right. my interpretation as a kid of the Unabomber was way different from the rest of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It was almost in a comedic term after he was caught, but I didn't realize he terrorized the world for so many years. Oh, a long time. Yeah. 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 Like 16, 16 years. Wow. That that is that is something else, man. And um, you know something fascinating about this film is that uh, you kind of see his perspective of he just wants to be in the quietest nature, yeah. no technology. He's saying computers are going to ruin the world and people are going to become too dependent on technology. Uh, the more yeah. I watched it, I was like, "Don't go, bro. Don't yeah. fucking say it. Don't yeah. fucking say he's right." Mm -hmm. The brilliance of the direction of this film, I got to say is that he hates technology and he uses technology on screen almost in a monstrous sense where if there's a plane going by, it is the loudest plane you have ever heard yeah, in your life. I know the engine of a tractor, like how it almost is perverting the nature he's trying to live in. And, and that's a really good way to not get on his side, but just see where he's coming from. Absolutely. And fact, yeah. And in fact, the only people he talks to in this entire movie are his family that you don't ever see or hear their voices. You just hear him yelling into a, into a payphone. Yeah. Yeah. I know payphone kids. A payphone is when you used to put money in to make a call in a public place and put a, <laughs> put a receiver who's God knows who just spoke up right next to your mouth, uh, yeah. which I'm sure a young person during COVID like, you know, will break out in hives at the very thought of this. But uh, yeah, that's the way it was. And uh, I just gotta say, 
kudos to the direction because they went all in, they stuck there and uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't no, know. I dig the film. It, it, me too. And, and you know, the, the, it's true. I mean, it, it, living in the city, um, there's one point where he says, you know, uh, it's already like a shit pile in the city. So you don't notice any of this stuff, but where he lives, you do notice it because he is really in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, it, it's also worthy to say that this film was shot on the actual land that Ted Kaczynski owned. So, um, that's, what's really crazy. Like there's so much authenticity in this film, but, um, I thought they just like trickled into Vancouver or something. No, no, like, no, 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 no. This was shot. This was shot wow. in Montana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and they used uh, whatever structures that were left around there they used. So it's interesting. It's, it's, it's definitely one of these films that you're going to go into and you're going to walk out of. And if you go a group of friends, you're going to be able to go have, you know, a, a late night meal or a conversation, two, three hour conversation mm. on this film. And that's to me, my favorite films. I mean, how, how great is it when we get to go see a movie, Ryan, and we can chat about it after. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I saw Morbius by myself <laughs> and you, Cliff and Julia all saw everything everywhere at once. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Everything, everything, uh, everywhere all at once. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I don't know. Do I review Morbius on this show? No, no, I mean, listen, listen, Morbius was Morbius. Um, yeah. Morbius was Morbius. I, That's I, true. <laughs> I haven't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw it under the bus. I haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to mm -hmm. say anything until I've seen it with my own eyes. I have seen people, um, that have, that have talked about it, that I respect that said, you know, listen, this film, there was a bit of a witch hunt for this film, um, online. And I don't know. I don't know if I believe that, but I won't, I'm not going to say anything until I see it with my own eyes, but everything everywhere all at once is, is brilliant. <laughs> there you go. There's no, that's an our brilliant that. film. Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I really, uh, just want to give a big shout out to the studio house design people because, yeah. uh, you know, it's not just a Hellraiser shirt. The reason why I like I needed this shirt was because they, the attention to detail, I mean, yeah. putting chains on the arms is amazing you know what so i mean if people don't know uh studio house designs uh they're uh, a small company out of philadelphia who uh sponsor both ryan and i and keep us looking fresh and they they have the greatest they have the greatest shirts i mean uh, you know this they live shirt um the hellraiser shirt like i i love everything that cody designs so go check them out they're uh they're very 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 cool and uh and their shirts are very comfy as well they're always very soft um, Ryan, listen, I'm, I'm excited about this week because I, I think, um, both of these people are really, really interesting and I'm really, really glad they joined us today because, um, Melissa, you know, I love to see where Melissa is at this point in her life. And, you know, I, I asked her when we were chatting, is it weird to be kind of behind the scenes? And she brought up a good point. She goes, you know, I've been the bass player in every band that I've been in, uh, besides my solo project, I'm used to kind of being in the background. And, and she said something that I really related to because, you know, being someone who was, you know, formerly a professional musician, um, I'm kind of happy being in the background, like doing things differently now. And, and I like being able to shine light on other people that are interesting and not just try to look for, look for all the spotlight. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I would love to see a sit down conversation with Darcy from Smashing Pumpkins, Melissa and Sean Young from um, White, uh, White Zombie. Yeah. And just be like, you know. Let's all remember, let's oh, let's all talk about our experiences in these bands and stuff because they stood out to me and a lot of my friends. Oh, yeah. Like, they're great players, though. <laughs> that's the thing. And my, my some of my friends idolized Melissa in her time in Hole. I mean, oh, yeah. that's like, it's a big, it was a big deal to be in that band at that time. And I was re-listening and um, Melissa's a, a, like, uh, she joined 
the band when they were d- doing live through this, but celebrity skin was her first real like album with them. Yeah. And I, I got to say right now, like the quality of bass presence from one album to another is astonishing. Big yeah. Big time celebrity yeah. skin. The, the bass is brought to the forefront proudly yeah. like an old punk rock album. And in the other albums, there was bass in it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like an injustice for all time. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, yeah. Melissa's a great, she's a great artist. And, um, and you know, she's, I love her dabbling into film. Um, we got a chance to chat about 12 years ago when she was here for the science fiction festival and, uh, she had her project out of our minds and it was, it was really cool because it was multimedia. It was a film, it was a soundtrack, it was a comic book. And, uh, we talk about it in, you know, in the interview, how she was a bit of ahead of her, ahead of her time with that. So, um, but yeah, I, I strongly encourage people to go check out Ted K. Uh, if you are in the Montreal area, the film will be uh, premiering in the theater um, at Cinemas Park on Friday, April 15th. And what's great about this is both Tony and Melissa will be in attendance for the screening and we'll be doing a Q&A post film. So you'll be able to ask them all the questions that I'm sure you're going to have after watching Ted K and, and we'll be doing a theatrical run at Sin Muds Park. So definitely go check it out. And that's amazing too, because when I was watching this, I th- I said to myself, and this is not bullshit, Jason, yep. man, I wish I saw this at Cinema de Park. This is yep. like one of those movies where when you go to Cinema de Park and you know Cinema de Park, you go in the mindset of, I'm going to watch something kind of experimental here. Yeah, It's not yep. going to be, you know, Razzy dazzy, happy go lucky, happy ending popcorn film. I might see something gloriously fucked up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, no, definitely. And uh, and and you know, I'm a big big supporter of independent cinema and 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 small. I mean, I love theaters. I'm in, I'm a supporter of theaters, no matter how big or small they are. I mean, that's the experience. That's where it should be happening. So um, yeah, definitely go check it out. Don't watch this on your phone. Go go see it in the theater if you can, um, because it's worth seeing. But any way you see it, just see it because it's uh, it's it's definitely worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing. Uh, I want to thank uh, my co-host Ryan Stick for uh, everything this week. As always, want to thank our sponsor, Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Go check them out at heartbeathotsauce.com. Uh, pick up a six-pack of sauce. You will be very, very happy. Thanks to Studio House Designs. Um, our thanks to our uh, executive producer of our podcast, another strong female, Julia Kajerski. and uh, The strongest. Yeah, the strongest. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks to all of you for joining us. We really, really appreciate all the enthusiasm ar- around the Rockman Power Hour. And uh, you guys are the absolute best. So make sure you like, subscribe, and uh, we will see you next week. On the Rockman Power Hour. <laughs> On the Rockman Power Hour. <laughs> do 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 do. Ah!